But in my estimation, one of the major problems in evangelical churches today is that we have watered down the gospel message by minimizing the, the desperate need of lost sinners and thereby, thereby minimizing the greatness of God's salvation. We are told that people, we are, we, we've told people that Jesus can help them with their problems and give them abundant life. And they're doing reasonably well in life, but they could use a little help now and then. And so they decide that they will try Jesus and see if he will just boost their happiness level. Like well-fed people at a, at a feast, they sample a little bit of the Jesus appetizer to see if they like it or not. But they don't feel a great need for a Savior. And so as a result, forgiven little, they love Jesus little. That's a problem in our world today and in many of our evangelical churches. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that apart from Christ, people are under the wrath of a holy God, and that unless they flee to Jesus Christ, they will perish in their sin. They are hopelessly and helplessly lost and bound for hell. Unless Jesus Christ saves them from their sins, they will suffer God's eternal condemnation. So it's not the idea, I'm going to try Jesus out a little bit and see if he can help me. Right. We come to him with a brokenness, realizing that we are in dire straits if we don't have a Savior. So somewhere in the process of God's dealing with us, he must bring us to the point of recognizing our great need for his salvation. And for some, it, it happens before conversion. For others, perhaps it after, happens after. But, but only when we see how desperate our need is will we see how great God's provision of a Savior really is. And seeing how much we've been forgiven, we then, of course, love him much. And so when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he allowed Abraham to go to the very brink where he would see his desperate need for the substitute which God provided. So out of gratitude, Abraham named that place in chapter 22 and verse 14, the Lord will provide. And so this story illustrates the salvation that God later provided for the world in the death of his own son, his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, a few weeks ago, we looked at this story from the perspective of what it teaches us about surrendering all to God. And today I want to look at it from the angle of God's provision. The Lord has provided a great Savior for our great need. So the first thing that I think that we need to really grasp is that we do have a great need. It's not just, it's not just that this could make our life a little bit better, and maybe this will solve our marriage problems, and maybe this will make us happier and have a better job and all of that. No, we have a great need. And so in verses 1 and 2 of, of Genesis 22, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
If God had merely asked Abraham to go and sacrifice one of his lambs, he wouldn't have felt the desperate need that he felt when God asked him to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. And so this was, a, this was really a matter of life and death for Abraham. And of course, Isaac, I think, felt the great need too. I think Isaac was old enough to understand what was going on. Um, he, he could have died if God did not intervene. And so God allowed Abraham to go to the point of raising the knife to slay his son to show him his desperate need for a substitute. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Abraham. Even though we talked about how Abraham probably believed in his heart that God was going to raise him to dead because he believed God and God's promises of Isaac and all of that kind of stuff, but still he physically had to raise that knife up and was ready to plunge it into his son. He, he had a desperate need. He understood what a desperate need for a Savior is. And so this drama teaches us some important truths about salvation. First of all, man can only approach God through the shedding of blood. This was was not the first time that Abraham and Isaac had learned this. They knew it from before Isaac had been with them on other occasions when he had sacrificed one of their animals. And so this fact lies behind his question As they proceeded up the mountain there in in verse 7, when he said, But Isaac spoke um, to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb for the offering, Dad? So Isaac knew that to approach God... There had to be the shedding of blood. There had to be a lamb. There had to be an animal that was going to be sacrificed. There had to be an animal that was going to lose its life. Isaac had to know that already. Certainly Abraham knew it. And so God had made this this plain from the time of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. You remember they tried to cover their nakedness with fig trees, but God provided animal skins for them. Well, how did he get the animal skins? He had to shed the blood of the animals to cover Adam and Eve. And I think God explained to them the sacrifice of that shed blood and his provision for their sins. Because then their sons, they learned it because their sons, Cain and Abel, they also knew it. And when Cain brought a sacrifice of fruit, which represented his attempt to approach God in his own way, which is what a lot of people try to do today. We try to come to God in our own ways and in ways that we feel comfortable with. But God did not accept it. And he told him to do well. God would only say that if Cain knew the proper way to approach God. So later, God would ordain through Moses the sacrificial system by which Israel was to approach him. And the point is that the, from the earliest of time, God made it clear that without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sin. There has always had to be the shedding of blood to be able to approach God. And so God cannot just brush our sins under the rug 
or he would compromise his holiness and he would compromise his justice. He has ordained that the penalty for sin is death and he must exact that penalty. And so, secondly, man can only approach God through the shed blood of an acceptable uh, substitute an acceptable substitute. By accepting the death of animals, God showed people from Adam and Eve on that he would accept the death of a proper substitute as payments for a person's sin. And that substitute, of course, was always, always pointing towards Jesus on the cross. Always looked that direction. It, It could not be just any animal, though. It had to be a male animal without spot or blemish, because it pointed ahead to the sinless Son of God who would offer himself as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And by requiring the death of Isaac, God was going a step further in his his revelation to man. He was showing that man's sin required not only the death of an animal substitute, but that man can only approach God through the shed blood of an acceptable human substitute. So now we're taking, now we're taking this a step further. Only man can atone for the sins of man. Furthermore, that man who must die as a substitute must be a son, an only son, a beloved son, like we see in 22.2, And so Isaac and the ram together represent the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. The ram represented the aspect of substitution, and Isaac represented the humanity and the sonship of the Savior. So Abraham then, of course, pictures uh, the father who loved his son, but who sacrificed him on our behalf. Now think about how Abraham must have felt as he lifted that knife to kill his beloved son. He must have felt overwhelmed by by his desperate needs before God. And I can imagine that even though he, he believed in his heart that somehow God was going to raise his son from the dead, I cannot help but think that as a father, he might have been thinking, oh God, why couldn't it be a lamb? Why couldn't it be me? Why must it be my son, my only son whom I love? Is my son so great that only my sin so great that only Isaac can atone and suffice for my sins, God? I don't know what was going through his mind. But I imagine there must have been a number of things. And and think of how Isaac must have felt. Unless God provided a substitute, he would die. And so God has to bring us all to that place of realizing our great need. Our sin is so great that nothing other than the death of God's own son would suffice. Nothing. And so the death of lambs could only could, could never atone for sin. They could only point to Jesus Christ. They only pointed forward to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And so through the command to sacrifice Isaac... And through the ram, which God substituted at the last minute, which shows that God was not endorsing child sacrifices at all, God already had a plan. He had already had a ram sitting there ready, caught up in the thicket. 
And so the Lord was impressing on his people the greatness of their need for the Savior that God would provide. Now, I like what Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, says. He said, God was instilling a reflex in the minds of his people so that every time they thought of sin, they would think of death, for sin means death. It means the death of the sinner or the death of a savior, one or the other. I wish you, you, you all uh, could read the autobiography of, of the great Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Maybe some of you had have read that, but if you haven't, it'd be a great autobiography to read. Uh, his father and his grandfathers were preachers in the Victorian England, and uh, outwardly, Charles was, um, was a moral and very well-balanced boy. But from the age, he said in his book, from the age 10 to the age 15, he went through deep conviction of sin before he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And God had showed him his great need so that he would appreciate God's great provision in Christ. In fact, in the book, he spent over 20 pages describing his inward struggle in those few years, early years of his life. And here's just a brief sample of what he said. He said, for five years as a child, there was nothing before my eyes but my guilt. And I thought, I do not hesitate to say that those who observe my life would not have seen any extraordinary sin. Yet as I looked upon myself, there was not a day in which I did not commit such gross, such outrageous sins against God that often and often I have wished I had never been born. Before I thought upon my soul's salvation, I dreamed that my sins were very few. All my sins were dead, as I imagine, and buried in the graveyard of forgiveness. But that trumpet of conviction, which aroused my soul to think of eternal things, sounded a resurrection, note to all of my sins, and oh, how they rose up in multitude, more countless than the sands of the sea. Now I saw that my very thoughts were enough to damn me, that my words would sink me lower than the lowest hell, and as for my acts of sin, they now began to be a stench in my nostrils so that I could not bear them. I reckoned that the most defiled creature, the most loathsome and contemptible, was a bitter, was a better thing than myself, for I had so grossly and grievously sinned against Almighty God." Remember, he's 10 to 15 years old right now as he's thinking about this. And then he states, Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. Tremendous autobiography. And while I have never gone through anything as deep as Spurgeon went through in his life, the more I have grown in my Christian walk, the more I've come to realize how holy God is and how sinful I am. You know, the closer we get to God, the the greater our sin seems. 
It seems much more real to us. And so when I first put my faith in Jesus Christ, I knew that I was sinful and that, that God is holy, but I had no idea the mighty gulf that God does span at Calvary for me. And the modern church is going overboard to tell us how to love ourselves and how to esteem ourselves and build ourselves up. But the Bible shows us the depths of our great need as sinners so that we will approach God's great provision of a Savior. We're not just going to sample Jesus. We recognize that without God showering mercy upon our miserable souls, we will spend eternity in hell. So then God has provided a great Savior for us. And, and, and the shed blood of an acceptable human sacrifice is how, is how he did that. Abraham's desperate situation showed him that only God could meet his need. If God had not intervened at the precise moment that he did, Isaac would have been killed. And Abraham offered the ram God provided, according to verse 13, in the place of his son, so that Isaac was spared. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 6, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still, while we were still helpless and hopeless and at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. So the place where this sacrifice took place in, in, in Genesis, I believe, is also significant. You see, God could have told Abraham to offer his son somewhere closer to Beersheba where he was living, but he directed him to the land of Moriah, to one of the mountains there. The only other place in the Bible where Moriah appears is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, where it is stated that Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. In Abraham's day, the spot was uninhabited. There wasn't anything there. It was just a mountain. It took him three days to get there. But it later would be the place where sacrificial lambs would be offered at the temple that Solomon built. And I can't prove it, but I believe that Mount Moriah is the same as Mount Calvary, where God's only son would die as a sacrifice for our sins, 2,000 years later. And a proverb springs up concerning this story in, in, uh, in verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the idea of this is that in our time of extremity, when all human help is gone, God will see our need and he will provide deliverance for us in only the way that he can do that. The mount of the Lord supremely, Mount Calvary, because our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And so like Abraham, we must come to the place God has appointed and that place is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only place that we can find our Savior. And so at the cross, God provided everything that the sinner needed to be reconciled to him. And all we can do is thankfully receive by faith what he has provided. But then also the Savior 
The Savior God has provided is his only son whom he loved. There we go. His only son whom whom he loved. You see, the ram provided by God represented Jesus Christ who died in our place. But Isaac is also a type of Christ. Whereas Isaac was spared death, Christ, of course, actually died in our place. But God allowed Abraham to go right up to the point of killing Isaac to illustrate the fact that he would one day sacrifice his own son for the sins of the world. And just as Jesus would one day bear his own cross up the same hill, so Isaac bore the wood for the sacrifice on his shoulder. And just as, just as Jesus willingly gave himself in obedience to the Father, we see in John 10, Ephesians 5, and other places, so Isaac willingly submitted to his father. Now, we don't, we don't know how old Isaac was. Sometimes we get this idea, well, he must have uh, been so small that Abraham could just put him up on there and tie him up and everything was okay and, and no struggle or anything like that. But we, don't, we really don't know how old Isaac was, but he was at least old enough to carry the wood. He could carry that wood up that mountain. And probably he was strong enough to resist his elderly father if he had tried But his willing submission shows his trust both in God and in his father. And so in Abraham's mind, Isaac was as good as dead for three days before he was raised from that altar. So in verse verse 4, it it tells us there, um, Now on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So when he saw that, he knew he was going to build an altar there and place his son on it. And it was that day that God said, Abraham, stop. And God didn't allow him to carry it out. And so before, before he, he, he um, was able to plunge the knife in, God provided a savior. Just as Jesus was actually in the tomb three days before he was raised from the dead. So just as Abraham carried the fire in the knife, the implements of death, and would have plunged the knife into the heart of his son. So there is a sense in which God the Father put his own son to death. In the book of Isaiah, it tells us, um, Isaiah wrote of Christ that he was smitten of God and that the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And in, in, in John 3.16, it makes it clear that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And just as Abraham loved Isaac, it, is, it, it, it pained him deeply to think of killing his son. So the father loved the son, Jesus, but offered him up for us as a sacrifice. Why? Well, God loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son to die in our place. Probably no one appreciates what that means more than Abraham after he received Isaac back from the altar. I can't imagine Abraham probably couldn't untie his son fast enough and get him off of there and get that ram on there and hug his son. Nothing was more precious to Abraham than Isaac. And nothing could have cost the father more than giving his sinless son, Jesus Christ, as a penalty for our sins. 
and yet he so loved us. And that's what he did. Years ago, a missionary in India named David Morris had developed a close, close friendship with a pearl diver by the name of Ramba. And Morris had spent many hours trying to tell his friend uh, of God's great and free gift of salvation. But the Indian man, he, he just couldn't accept it. it. It just seemed too easy. He insisted that a man must work for and earn his place in heaven. Well, as Ramba grew older, he told the missionary that he needed to make preparation for the life to come. And so he had decided to spend his final days crawling to Delhi on his knees to make an atonement for his sins and earn his spot in heaven. With alarm, the missionary tried to, to dissuade him and show him once again that God had provided all that a sinner needs in Jesus Christ. But the old man couldn't accept it. And so one day, just before the man was ready to leave on his pilgrimage, Ramba invited Morris to his house and he brought out a strong box and he ex explained to, to Morris that he had kept, the, kept only one thing in that box and that was something very precious to him. He surprised the missionary by explaining that he had had a son. He had never told the missionary he had a son before. And with moist eyes, he told him of how his son had been the best pearl diver on the coast of India. And he always dreamed of finding the best pearl ever found in those parts. And one day he found that pearl, but he had stayed under the water too long. And he brought up that pearl, but he's, he lost his life in doing so. In all of these years, the father had kept that pearl. But now, since he was not planning to return, he wanted to give it to his best friend, the missionary. And so he opened up the box and Morris gasped as he stared at the biggest, most perfect pearl that he had ever seen in his life. He said, in fact, it was a pearl that had to be worth thousands of dollars. And suddenly a thought came to the missionary's mind and he said, Ramba, this is a marvelous pearl. Let me buy it. I will give you $10,000 for that pearl. Well, the old man was stunned. What do you mean? Oh, I'll give you 15000 or whatever it takes. I'll, you just name the price and I'll, I'll work it off until I can pay you for that pearl. Well, Rambo was indignant. This pearl is bought beyond all price to me. My son gave his life to get this pearl. I, I would not sell it for a million dollars, but I will give it to you, my friend, as a gift. No, Rambo. I cannot accept it as a gift. Maybe, maybe I'm proud, but I must work for it and pay for it, or I cannot take it. Rambo was offended beyond words. And David allowed it to sink in a little bit. And then with choked voice, he took his hands and took a hold of Rambo, and he said, don't you see that what I am saying to you is just what you have been saying to God? God provided for your salvation by offering his own son and your pride in thinking that you, could, that you could earn it or deserve it shows your great need as a sinner. But the fact that God provided his son for sinners shows his great love. And all you can do is thankfully receive God's great provision for your sin. Well, by now, 
Tears were streaming down the cheeks of the old Indian man, and he had finally understood that salvation is not something that a man can earn or buy, but only something that God can provide. And he trusted God as his Savior, the provision of Jesus Christ for his sins. Now, if you have never seen it before, I hope that today, tonight, that you see that as a sinner, you have a great need for a Savior. Without Christ, you will perish in your sin. And I hope that you see that God has provided the Savior in his own son, Jesus Christ, and that you can trust in him as your substitute sin offering. If you've trusted in Christ, then I hope that you remember always that, that great provision that God has made for your great need, and that remembering you will love him more, you will trust him more, you will fear him more, you will worship him more, you will obey him with all of your heart. As sinners, we have a great need, but God has provided an even greater Savior. Amen.